into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 14 of the Matt Bernier Show for Monday, May the 11th, 2020. However you're listening or watching, thank you for doing so. number of ways to find this podcast. If you want audio only, you have InTheMoneyPodcast.com where you can also find all the other products and, and sort of media pieces that In The Money Media has to offer. You can find it over on Apple Podcasts. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts on Android. All that jazz, you know where to go for that. If you're interested in the YouTube version and you need a little bit of a visual, or and this week actually might be a, a, a nice week if you don't typically watch on YouTube, because there might be some more things that go along. I'm going to actually go over a race and just kind of show you how I, what my standard sort of protocol is as far as going through and handicapping an individual race. So maybe this week, if you don't typically listen on YouTube, maybe this is a week you want to give it a look. All you got to do, type in Matt Bernier Show in that search bar up at the top. It'll come up. But make sure if you do that, you subscribe to the In The Money page and you make sure the bell icon is lit up. That way you get anything new. Whenever there's a new upload, whether it's this or the Friday happy hours that we've been doing with the Breeders' Cup and Horseplayers.com, or if it's anything else, you'll get a notification. And that way you can just hop right on over there. You can watch it. You can listen to it, whatever the case may be. I've said it before when I'm in the office here. I'm, I'm usually listening to a podcast while I'm doing other things, but I usually have it up on YouTube. Not to say I don't use my phone for my podcast or anything like that, but it's just nice to have it playing in the background or whatever. And I know some of you do that with this program as well. So you got all those ways that you can find the show. And again, over on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, questions, comments, concerns, you name it. I've already alluded to it. Just because this past weekend was a little bit light as far as major important racing is concerned, um, not going to do any sort of reviews. I figured this was a good opportunity not only to update the pick history, not only to go into a little bit of a deeper Q&A. We'll go over four questions and comments from some folks on the YouTube channel. Um, but also to just, I've had people ask different things, and I guess this could kind of potentially piggyback with one of the questions that uh, I've got here that we'll go over from Tom Kaneski, but um, just what the sort of usual process is for me when I go through a race. Now, is this how it is for every single race? No, but I felt like it was a good opportunity to go through and just kind of show you a little bit of what goes on in my head to try to ultimately land on some of these horses and the logic and the reasoning that I end up going to certain horses in certain directions in certain places. So uh, show you a little bit of that stuff. It's going to be on the other sort of recording software. So the audio might be a little bit different, may need to turn up your volume or turn it down. It d depends on how things come out. I'll leave that to producer Craig as well. But so that's what the back half of this show is going to be all about going over. I believe it's the ninth race at Gulfstream on Thursday. Um, not a huge field just because I didn't want to take a ton of time with it as far as, you know, how long this actually goes. But um, I think you've got some good horses in there. It's an optional claimer. They're nice runners. I think the tag is 75000 So um, for the ones that don't hit the different conditions, um, I think so. You know, it's definitely one of those things that we'll go through and, and perhaps it'll be a good exercise. Perhaps it'll be something that no one wants to hear ever again. I need to know from all of you, though, uh, beneath the YouTube, or excuse me, on the YouTube channel, beneath the video player, or again on Twitter. So, uh, before we get to that, though, let's go over the updated pick history. Let's go over the Q and A for this week, uh, and then also, I the thing for me that's most important for this episode is I have a I have an idea, but I need input. And I need to hear from all of you what your thoughts are and what the best way to approach this is. Um, from a pick history standpoint, we'll start with that. Uh, I am on 
uh, it's just an epic cold streak right now. Uh, I don't think I, I think I've had four public winners since, oh boy, I mean, we're talking five, five public winners going all the way back to April 18th. Now, the good news is, you know, one of those paid $60 or close to it, uh, a couple other double digits. So it, it's leveled out. It hasn't been a complete disaster, but I've, I've made it clear a number of times for me, I can get really, really hot and just start picking, hoard, you know, to, to borrow a line from Seinfeld, spotting dimes across the room, or I can be absolutely lost. And I'm just in one of those those funks right now where the horses, for one reason or another, either they're... You know, they're not getting a great trip or whatever the case may be. It ebbs and flows. Things happen. Definitely on a cold streak. So the numbers have changed pretty significantly from last week's show. Uh, the win percentage now is at 20%. The sample size is at 123. So there have been 123 picks that I've given, whether it's on Twitter or social media or TV or radio or whatever it may be. 123 is the sample size. 20% winners with a 230 ROI. So that's still positive. It's a about a 15% to the good sort of number. From a win play show standpoint, the win percentage is only 50%, and it's only a 204 ROI. So the clearly the, the win play show has taken a, a pretty significant hit over these past handful of picks down to a 2% positive move as far as your return on investment is concerned. So both numbers are still in the black, um, but it's been a bit of a, a struggle here over the past week or two. So Hopefully things will turn around and it's just one of those deals where you know uh, there are going to be highs and lows and you just got to kind of ride out the ride the wave and and know that you're going to figure it out. It's just sometimes you get bad racing luck, sometimes you get good racing luck and you just got to weather the storm uh, from the raw numbers. Uh, from the win standpoint, you would have wagered $246, you would have had $282.40 returned uh, and from the win play show standpoint, you would have wagered $738, you would have had $750. 80 cents return to you if you followed and bet all of these picks that I've been giving since February. So it's still good numbers, but this recent stretch, a little bit on the light side now. This leads me to what I'm trying to figure out and what I need help from you, how I want to go about doing this. Uh, I have on pretty good wording that next Monday I'll be able to explain where the public selections will end up being. Um, they just need another week. Next Monday, I'll probably be talking about that more. I'm still going to go over the pick history every week on the podcast, but there's I, I, I'm interested in doing something specific for the podcast. And my, my initial thought, and for those of you that uh, don't follow him or are unfamiliar with him, Scott Carson, uh, you can follow him on Twitter. I believe it's at Carsoni. Um, he, over the past couple of years, past couple summers, had talked about uh, he he did a basically a money challenge over the course of Saratoga, trying to get to a certain number. Um, I want to kind of take a little bit of that, but do it on a much smaller scale and try to expand it as far as time is concerned. And I just feel like it would be a fun exercise if it's not just me doing it, but if it's a small enough number and other people can get involved as well. So I just I've had this thing in my head, this sort of hundred dollar challenge where you start with $100, but I'm having a hard time figuring out what the goal needs to be and what the duration needs to be. I, I keep going back to the Breeders' Cup. It feels like Breeders' Cup is a good a good end date for it, but, but at the same time, what is the goal? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to just break even over the next five and a half months? Are we trying to 
to turn 100 into 200, 100 into 500, 100 into 1,000. What are we trying to do with it? So that's what I need. Realistic input from people. I, look, if we can sit here and say, oh, turn 100 into 100,000. Well, that I mean, is it possible? Of course, but I, highly unlikely. So I want it to be something that is specific to the pod, and I'll tweet about it still, no question about it. But I need... I need to know what you all think is a reasonable expectation and actually how long you want it to be. Do you want it to just, do you want it to be a monthly thing? Do we want it to be a, a, a quarterly thing? Do we want it to go through the Breeders' Cup? Whatever it may be. It's not in place of the pick history. The pick history is going to continue, but I, I'm just very curious. I, I've, I've been having a, I've been thinking about it for a while and I can't seem to put my finger on what I think is the best setup for it. So I, I need to know either beneath the uh, video player on YouTube or directly on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Let me know what you think. It's a hundred dollar challenge. We start with a hundred bucks and we try to do something with it. And I, it's, let's keep it reasonable. Let's keep it realistic. Uh, but I'm open to any and all suggestions. And, and hopefully over the course of this next week, there'll be enough suggestions and input and things of that nature that next Monday, uh, not only can I reveal where the sort of public selections will end up, but I can also hopefully come up with some sort of parameters for this $100 challenge going forward. So think about that. Let me know where you all want to go or where that, what you think the most reasonable and, and enjoyable and sort of useful exercise, you know, what, what the best way to do that would be. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, I've been thinking about it for a while and I just have really had a hard time pinning it down. Hopefully you guys can help me with that. Let's get into the Q&A for this week. I've got four different uh, sort of topics to discuss. We'll start off with Carl W. I thought this was an interesting one. Uh, Carl, first, for all of you, thank you for the comments. This is probably my favorite part about the new podcast is how much the Twitter, or excuse me, the, the YouTube comment section has just blown up. Uh, I believe last week's episode had 40 or 41 unique individual comments, whether it's people going back and forth with one another or just making comments about the show or whatever it may be. This to me, it, I find that so much more valuable than just, you know, starting a thread on Twitter because, there, again, t Twitter feels like it can get very disjointed very quickly, where this, it seems like all of the conversations are very concentrated on certain aspects of something that's happened either on the pod or some opinion that someone else has or whatever it may be. And I, I kind of appreciate that it's turned into its own little forum. So the more comments and the more interactions that we have, the better off. I, I just I can't tell you how happy that part has made me. And I hope that this continues. And I hope the part the Q&A is part of this whole deal. So uh, Carl W., uh, his comment, part of it initially had to do with uh, War of Will. Obviously, War of Will did not end up running this past weekend. He's going to point to Santa Anita. Um, but the other part that I was interested in from Carl W. was also one of the under-radar horses that I've been following is called Big Mel. Big Mel's an unraced three-year-old trained by Bob Baffert. By his by quality road, he's been working extremely well out at Santa Anita. I did a little bit of uh, homework on this horse, and I'm going to see if I can pull it up here. We can take a look at what the horse has uh, done so far. So this is Big Mel's, these are his PPs. I'm, I don't know if you can actually see it that well, but again, he's by Quality Road uh, out of a Hennessy mare named Emma Darling. They paid $800,000 for the horse at the Keeneland 2018 September sale. Uh, he's been working pretty consistently in a little bit of a gap between April 2nd and April 17th. Uh, then you had another little bit of a gap between March 21st and April 2nd. His works prior to that were at Los Alamitos. Then they shipped him over to Arcadia to run at Santa Anita. Um, 
the most recent work that I saw, and you can go and find this on XBTV.com. XBTV does great, great work as far as visuals and video of the workouts at Santa Anita, at Palmetto's, at a number of different places. Belmont, they'll occasionally have some as well. So Big Mel's most recent workout came essentially head in head. I'm not going to show you the, 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 the video of it. You can find it over on XBTV. Um, but it was a, effectively a head in head work with a horse called American Code, who is also a Baffert runner. And, you know, Jonathan and uh, PTF and I on this past Friday's Horse Players Happy Hour, we're kind of talking about the, the ways to go about utilizing clocker reports and workout information. And one of the things that we brought up was I'm more curious about who they're working with. And it can be a little bit of, you can glean some information about what this horse is potentially capable of in the afternoon based on who they've been working with in the mornings. So for that most recent work to effectively be head in head with a horse like American Code, who debuted at odds of three to five and earned a 75 buyer, he didn't quite get the job done. But he ran well enough to make you think that, okay, if, if, if a horse like Big Mel is working more or less head and head with a horse like American Code, maybe it's reasonable to think first out of the box. We could be looking somewhere in that. I'm going to call it, I'll give you a 10-point range from a buyer standpoint. Maybe he's going to come out of the box earning somewhere between a 70 and an 80. And you know what? First time out of the box, that might be good enough to get the job done. So um, it's just a, a way to utilize a, a product or service like XBTV where you can go through and compare and contrast, take a look and see how horses are doing things and, and things of that nature. So uh, good eye Carl W for spotting Big Mel. We'll see what we get from this horse uh, going forward. I think definitely an intriguing one uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, Alex Kibrick, uh, what do you think of a horse like Halliday going forward? Now this was really the the biggest race of the, this past weekend. We had that uh, the stakes race down at Gulfstream Park. Uh, Halliday is the horse that wins for Pletcher, wins in gate-to-wire fashion, relatively soft fractions throughout. Uh, this is back-to-back races where he's been able to set a very, very rated pace and still have something left in the tank. Another one of my losses, I liked Aquaphobia. He ran, I thought, really, really well. Just couldn't run down this horse that was loose on the lead. Um, Alex's thoughts, I think he's a horse-for-course type that has got away with easy lead Saturday and his last start. Others will say he's an improving four-year-old that's yet to reach his peak and could contend in a race like the Breeders' Cup Mile. I, you know, Alex, I feel like there's a real scenario where both can be true. Uh, the horse is running fast, and I think that's encouraging. But he is doing it in a fashion that maybe kind of going back to what I was speaking about last week with the sort of sloppy surface versus fast surface and how figures are earned. I'm not arguing with the number itself. The horse ran and earned whatever the figure was. But at the same time, the dynamics of that earning that number, maybe it's not quite as good as it looks. What happens when someone else pushes him hard early on? And they're not going to go away so easy. Once you do put that horse away, then you got to deal with the deep closers who have got a giant, giant kick at the end. So I think you can look at this horse and, and they can both be true, that he's had everything go his way. But at the same time, I'm also not ready to write him off and say that he's necessarily just kind of a one-trick pony and it just it's Gulfstream and you know he's not that good because I've seen horses like this in the past that they just continue to improve as, as they get older and... You know, I thought Jonathan uh, J.K. brought up a, a really interesting and I think a, a valid point about Todd Pletcher. When Todd gets these older horses good, they tend to stay good. It, it, very rarely do they just completely fall off the face of the earth. Um, it, if he gets them to this four-year-old and older campaign, they they typically stay good. Yes, he's going to need to prove that he can do this 
somewhere else before we before I can sit here and just say, you know, definitely a, a major, major player at a mile. But at the same time, he's been visually really impressive as far as his late kick is concerned in these last two races. And I recognize that those that the kicks are a product of the way that those races were run. Uh, but I'm not I'm not ready to put him in the winner's circle or say he's a top five candidate for the mile at the end of the year, but I'm also not I'm not willing to say that it's just kind of, you know, his his numbers are a byproduct of easy circumstances. I mean, he, the horse is still running. So um, we. this is going to sound very, very obvious. I think when we finally see him in a tougher spot, that's going to be when we'll find out if he's for real or not. If Todd continues to campaign him in the, let's say, softer positions, then that's also a telling piece to me because so many times we, you, I, we've always talked about how you go through and you need to ask yourself, why is this horse in this position in this race? Are the connections shooting for the moon with a horse that on paper should be 50 to 1? But you know what? They It's a big group of people. They want to go and be part of the party, this, that, and the other thing. They recognize they probably don't have much of a chance, but they're in it for the social reasons. Is it? Uh, are they connections that typically they're much more conservative, and then all of a sudden they're making a really aggressive move with an early horse, let's say an early three-year-old, that, again, typically, you know, I'm just using as an example, a Shug McGahee, who's going to give him time, and is only going to push when he thinks that they're ready to go. If Suge is pushing him along, that's probably a pretty, I think it's a, a noteworthy sort of piece of information. If he thinks that they're ready to go, we might as well move on. That's Take note of that. Um, and with these horses that earn these fast figures, but for whatever reason, the connections are reluctant to step them up in class, that usually to me is a red flag or a sign that they don't believe that the horse is genuinely that caliber especially when it comes to connections like a Pletcher or a Baffert or, you know, any of these top flight connections, Chad Brown, because they've had so many good horses before that typically they kind of know what they need to look for, for a horse to excel at that next level. And if for some reason they don't think this horse is capable of doing that, then that's that's pretty telling in my opinion. So uh, I think it's too early to really make a call on a horse like Halliday. Yes, he has had two really, really cushy setups in these two races, but he's run fast and he's looked good doing it both times. I'll be curious to see, A, do they step him up in class for his next start, which I hope they do, and B, if they do, what kind of effort do we get from him? Does he go right to the lead? Can he put away other legitimate speeds? Does he sit off of a target? Is his late kick still as effective outside of Gulfstream? You know, if they run him at Belmont Park or they run him somewhere else, uh, he's definitely an interesting horse, though. He's one of those that the, it feels like the sky's the limit, but is he a little bit of fool's gold? He's an interesting kind of case to go forward and keep an eye on. Uh, John Peruso, uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on rumors the Belmont Stakes being changed to a mile and an eighth or a mile and a quarter instead of the traditional mile and a half? Uh, I made a comment earlier last week. Uh, somebody had tagged myself and JK and um, I believe Joe Migliori uh, about, you know, the Triple Crown and should the Travers be the, the middle jewel this year with the schedule? And I, I made a comment that I'm, you know, some people agreed with and others, you know, whatever the case may be. I think the Triple Crown, just as a whole in general, um, is it a difficult achievement and it is a good achievement? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's one of those that there's a reason that only 13 horses have ever done it. I think it's one of the most overrated accomplishments in all of sports because it's age-restricted. 
Yes, you only get one chance to do it, but uh, you know, there are a lot of things in sports you only get one chance to do. It's it, we're not dealing with the best horses, and that's always been my biggest beef that the 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 piece that we have propped up the way that we have is we're we're not celebrating the best of the best. And look, I know in many instances, some of the horses that won the Triple Crown went on to prove their just superiority over the rest of the breed. It, it doesn't matter what the age is. But there are others that, that didn't do that. And I, it's just my opinion. It doesn't mean it's right, wrong, or indifferent. I just, I hate that it feels like the older horses who are genuinely the adults in the room, that they don't necessarily get the accolades or the credentials or the the pub that a horse that potentially is running for a triple crown would, when in reality, the horse that's running for the triple crown can do it earning figures that against older horses are just not, they're just not close. It's a, it's a personal issue of mine. It is what it is. It doesn't mean one thing or the other. It's just, that was how I answered that question. To John, to your question, I think it would be very, very foolish to change the distance of the Belmont stakes. I don't, I, I hope it's the first leg. But if it's not, it's not going to be the end of the world to me. You know, it's not like I'm going to start losing it over it. But I, I certainly wouldn't change the distance of it because then, just, just let's just think of it from a hypothetical standpoint. I get it. The, the races are all jacked up. They're all in different order. But what if a horse won all three of them? Are you not going to recognize that? By the way, a horse winning all three of them this year it might actually be more difficult than any of the other ones. And I get it because the five, the three and five weeks or the three and six weeks thing and three different tracks and X, Y, and Z, there are going to be more horses that a potential triple crown winner this year would need to deal with than in years prior, because you're going to have all that extra time for these late bloomers, a horse like a, like a big Mel who we were just speaking about, who uh, under norm, normal circumstances would have had no chance of running in any of those races. And I'm not saying that Big Mel is or isn't going to be that type, but you're going to get those types that they weren't ready, and now they get a little bit of extra time to finally come around. And the horses that would be you know, thriving over the summer, now all of a sudden they got a chance to win the Kentucky Derby. If you were to win the Belmont, let's say the Belmont was run first, and then you went on to win the Derby and you win the Preakness, I mean, I would make the case that that's actually more difficult than winning the Triple Crown as we've always known it. Just because you got to beat more horses, you need to stay good for longer. I just, it's it's, it's a fascinating thing, and I don't, I'm not going to argue with someone like like J.K. He brought it up. He goes, I don't feel like there's a Triple Crown this year. It's just three really good options for three year olds. Totally fair. I'm not going to try to convince other otherwise. You know, if if that's your feeling on it, that's your feeling on it. I'm just still fascinated to see what it, what a potential Triple Crown candidate could look like in a spot like this, in a year like this. And I would be, I know Baffert said if it were at a mile and a half, he's not going to run any of his horses there. I have to be honest, I would say then that, that's, that's fine. You don't have to run your horses here. They'll, they'll get, they'll get horses to fill the gate. I, I don't have much question about that. Now, if, the bigger question and concern is lack of foundation to get out to a mile and a half. All right, I, I can buy that a little bit. But that's assuming they run it, you know, that they don't change the date of it. And again, that's so far down the road, I have no idea, you know, what anything's going to look like. But I would hate to see it changed if they did. Okay, again, I'm not going to lose my mind over it. But I think the Belmont, if they feel like they can run it, and everything is going to be fine, I would say go on with it. 
And if you want to have a horse that, if you think any of your horses are that good, that they could potentially, that they're possibly triple crown special, I don't know why you wouldn't. But it's easy for me to sit here and say that I don't have any interest in any of the horses or anything like that. And I know that the trainers and the connections, they're going to do right by their animals and go on with it and do what they think is, you know, fitting enough to have their horses excel for as long as they can. Uh, and Tom Kineski, this will be the last piece of the Q&A this week. And again, maybe it'll be a nice sort of transition into taking a look at one of the races coming up this week. Uh, Matt, I'm new to horse racing. How do I learn the sport and become better at handicapping? I would say one of the most basic, straightforward things that you can do, uh, and I know I've already brought up these books in the past, uh, grab Andy Byers' books uh, that... It, I don't remember all three of them. I know uh, Picking Winners, Buyer on Speed, uh, I believe The Winning Horse Player. Maybe those are the three of them. You can find that three-pack on Amazon. Get it for, I don't know, 20 bucks, 25 bucks. Get those, read those books. Uh, I thought Steve Davidowitz's book, um, Betting Thoroughbreds in the 21st Century or whatever it's called, something along those lines, excuse me. That's definitely a book that, for me, foundationally, Helped me learn a number of different elements of what to look for and, and just, you know, it basically just gives you, it's a good beginner's run. Uh, Rich Eng is a good horse player. Uh, he was the author of Betting Horse Racing for Dummies. Uh, I thought that was a good book. I have that on uh, digital on, on my iPad. There are a number of different books and it depends on what sort of, what lane you want to go down. There's so many different layers to this. You can get very, very complex or you can keep it very, very basic. It's entirely up to you. I would say starting off, the buyer books and those two that I mentioned, I feel like those are good foundational sort of building blocks. And then from there, you can go on and call it, go from you know your 101 intro classes to the 102s and the 103s and all that sort of stuff for the, the 201s or the 301s, whatever you want to call them. Um, obviously, and I'm not just saying this because you're here listening to this, but podcasts I think go a long way whether it's this podcast whether it's any of the other in the money podcasts whether it's Jason Beam's podcast whether it's you know you you name it whatever podcasts or shows are out there uh, the time form pace cast any of that kind of stuff I would listen to anything and everything because you can pick up little things from different people people not all not everyone looks at things the same way and I feel like you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you said, I'm only going to listen to this person, or I'm only going to listen to this person, and I would say that even if you, for some reason, were sitting here saying, I'm only going to listen to Matt, well, I think you'd be doing yourself a great disservice, because I don't know everything, never claim to, and I never will, you, and you, if you just start limiting, putting up walls, you're, you're kind of going to be shortchanging yourself, you'll never get to whatever fulfilled potential you could have had. I would listen to anything and everything, but I would definitely start with those books. I feel like those are the best ways to go through and just get a get that foundation laid and then slowly start building up from there. And, and then you can figure out what lanes you want to go down. Are you going to be more of a pedigree player? Are you going to be more of a speed figure player? Are you going to be more of a trip taker, you know, trip notes and things of that nature? So, so many different ways you can go, but I would highly encourage you to start with the buyer trio, those three books. Uh, I think Davidowitz's book is is imperative. Um, Rich Eng's book, and if you're looking for a money sort of book, and we're talking about gambling, that's what this is all about, um, uh, Money Management at the Racetrack. Uh, the, I may have butchered the name a little bit, but Barry Meadows' book, uh, you can find that on Amazon as well. So uh, hopefully that's a good way, and anyone else that's listening, 
beneath the video player on YouTube. If you have suggestions for someone like Tom or somebody else that's new to this and is looking to sort of expand their knowledge, fire away. I feel like, again, let's it's take advantage of this as a bit of a sort of forum idea because, look, I'm all ears too. If you got something that I've never heard of, I'd like to know more about it. And I think you always need to be trying to learn and trying to get better because the minute you think you know it all, that's when you're going to get passed by. So that'll wrap up this week's Q&A. As always, fire away beneath the video player or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now, again, let's try to pivot a little bit as opposed to looking back. Let's look ahead and it's not going to be a, a super deep dive, but I'll show you some of the things that I do typically when I go through looking at a race. Let's look at the ninth from Gulfstream on Thursday. Race 9 at Gulfstream on Friday afternoon. Like I said, it's going to be a little bit different. It's not a full-blown deep dive, but it's just sort of a, an outline of the way that I'll typically go through the PPs, trying to figure out where I'm going to land, if I'm going to make a play on the race, whatever the case may be. Uh, you'll note some little notations that I make, and I'll kind of do a little bit more of a, an explanation, or give an explanation anyway, as to what some of that stuff may mean. Uh, you can see here, obviously, the condition. Look, I'm not one of those guys that dives a million different ways into trying to figure out why certain horses fit in certain conditions. For the most part, it's pretty obvious. I know some of the language can get a little bit tedious and, and, you know, probably more difficult than it needs to be. But the point is, you know, you do a quick read through, you can figure out why certain horses fit this condition. Uh, there's only one horse that is scheduled to be in for the tag. I believe that's the two horse in here. Yes, day by day. She's in for the $75,000. But we'll start right up here. First things first for me, I'll go through and you can see this part right here. This is actually the Timeform US Pace Projector. So I'll go through, write the Pace Projector in the upper right-hand corner of the first page of the PPs that I'm dealing with. So in this instance, uh, obviously it's going to be race number nine with the, the one horse. I'll go through, I'll make note of where they're going to be positioned according to the Pace Projector. I'll also make a notation, as I do here with this light blue bar. This is just to indicate the Timeform doesn't think there's going to be a lot of speed signed on. It's going to be a relatively soft pace. So I'll go through, make those notes. And I really have kind of got to the point where I start working backwards because for me, I couple that with a track profile. Now, I'm only going to show you a, a, a JPEG of the track profile that I have going back to the beginning of April at Gulfstream Park. Now, it's easy enough to put a track profile together. I would highly encourage you to do it if you've never done it. Um, it's detailed in Modern Pace Handicapping by Tom Brohammer, and it really genuinely is one of those things that can, I think, save a lot of time on your handicapping process. If you have an idea of where the horses need to be positioned throughout the run, you can pretty quickly make some determinations and some calls about some of these runners. Now, in shorter fields, typically, unless you've got an absolute just speed ball, the field's probably going to be a little bit more compact, but this is for six furlongs on the main track. Uh, this W over here would indicate a wet surface. So uh, whether it's a sloppy track, whether it's a good track, wet, fast, whatever it may be, that's what these are indicating. And the way that I go about it, I don't use any maiden races this early in the year. I don't use any three-year-old restricted races. I want to use older horses. I want to use horses that have won races before because they're a little bit more formful. You don't get so much randomness. I'll also go through, and I believe the quote from Brohammer in one of in the book, um, Modern Pace Handicapping, talking about the differences in you know how long is a track profile good. Well, it's good till it's not good anymore. So you'll note that I made a little bit of a change here. I started a new one on May the seventh because I felt like there was enough of a difference 
here with these runs at the first call at six furlongs than in the balance of these races that we had seen before. I feel like there was a bit of an uptick. Horses were coming from a little bit farther off of it than pretty much where they had before. So I made the executive decision for my own track profile to go ahead and, and make a little bit of a tweak. But that's something that in time you can go through tweak what you think is fair and not um, just for the record this column right here ENT this is entries the number of horses that ran in the race these are the odds of the winner of the race first call going six furlongs is going to be a quarter mile into the race so that's where the horse the winning horse was positioned at first call and how many lengths off the pace they were uh, negative Lengths would be they're actually the pace setter. They're the ones on the lead. Second call at six furlongs is going to be the half mile point. Uh, and again, very similar where they're positioned at that point and how many lengths either plus or minus they are. Uh, and then I have the date in here of when the race was run and what the race number was. So this is giving me an idea of where horses are going to need to be positioned in order to have a reasonable chance to win the race. I'm more interested in the lengths behind stat than necessarily what position they're actually in because you can have a you can have five horses separated by three quarters of a length or you can have five horses separated by seven lengths and you can have two horses that were in fourth in those two races one is a heck of a lot different position being in fourth than the other one being in fourth that other one in fourth could be five lengths out of it the other one in fourth could be a half length off of it so i'm more interested in this column right here for both of those and you can see for that first run of the track profile I had him first call about a length and a half roughly off the pace and then at the the prop, proper sort of half mile call the second call uh, just under a length off of it and you can compare that to the difference from what I've seen from the past week or so where first call three lengths second call two lengths so you can be a little bit farther off of it and still be effective I find it interesting that none of the horses that I have tracked uh, have been outright on the lead in any of these positions at these calls. Also worth noting, I don't use races that have come off the turf. Races that were scheduled to be run on the grass, I don't use those because to me, it's a it can be a little bit deceiving because, again, these are typically grass horses. And regardless of the outcome on the main track, it doesn't really help me as far as developing a profile because some of the horses absolutely cannot run on the dirt so i personally don't use those you can do whatever your your heart desires so typically i'm looking for a horse that can be reasonably close especially with the way that this uh well i should say with the way that this profile is suggesting that things have changed a little bit maybe you can come from a little bit farther off of it which is beneficial in my opinion at this point um I'll go right in post position order and point out some positives and negatives for these horses that I'm envisioning. Uh, for Also, for what it's worth, last I had seen the weather on Thursday. It looks like it's supposed to be okay at Gulfstream. Um, we'll start with Bronx Beauty, 3-1 to one in the morning line. Coming out of, obviously, a... a pretty solid race and, and I'm not going to hold it against her that she was 51 to 1 and she was beating a country mile but you can see these numbers beneath these horses these are the buyer speed figures that they earned in their next starts so the runner-up earned an 88 buyer Nona Madeline the third place finisher came back to earn an 83 but the 11th and 12th place finishers in a 12 horse field they were both next out winners NOW with 94 and 90 buyers respectively so uh, it, look, she ran against much tougher last time. She ran against a pretty decent group two starts back in the sugar swirl. My concern is this here that I have highlighted. She's 0 for 3 lifetime. She's never hit the board at Gulfstream Park. Gulfstream can be one of those horse-for-course type of angles. And also, when you compare that to the fact that she's 8 for 16 lifetime, I mean, that, that, that means that she's, what, 8 for 13 away from Gulfstream Park 
and she's never hit the board at Gulfstream again, knowing that she's ran, she's run in some difficult positions all three times at Gulfstream. They've been graded stakes races. Um, so maybe you want to be a little bit kinder there. From a running style standpoint, she hasn't been able to get close to the front in either of these two races, but you'll see these runs in the mid-Atlantic last summer. She was right up there on the engine, and according to Timeform US, she could be sitting in a really nice position just off of it. She doesn't have to have the lead to win a race, as evidenced by this dash and beauty from Delaware here. She sat about a length off of it, beautiful sort of stalking position, able to take over when the real running began. She did something similar here in the Penn Ladies Dash. So she doesn't have to have the lead. You get a Rad Ortiz aboard. Plenty of reasons to like a horse like this. Again, I'm not necessarily giving picks or anything. This is just more about the process that I'm looking at, trying to point out positives and negatives for any of these horses. We'll move on to the number two horse in here. Oh, and you'll also note this big red line right here that I put in. To me, that's a, that's a bit of a gap in the workout tab. And typically, as we get closer to a race, I don't like to see any gaps in the tab. If you miss some time, as long as you come back with a few workouts consecutively and they seem to be, you know, with a little bit of pep, that's what I'm more concerned about. I don't like to see gaps leading into races, especially at short prices. Uh, a horse like Day by Day, okay, in for the tag, don't care. Doesn't make a difference to me. What does make a difference to me is this is a horse who has a penchant for running second and third. Now, she has won a fair share of her races, don't get me wrong. Seven for 32 is a pretty good percentage. But you take a look and see over the past four starts, she's run second on four occasions. I know she does have a victory mixed in there. That was against N1X Company. But she's burned a fair amount of money. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt for this most recent run because this was off the turf. And I know she has run well on a wet track before. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I... I typically would like to see you getting the job done at short prices more frequently than she has recently. She was five to two last time out. She was uh, six to, uh, excuse me, she was three to five, two starts back. Odds on three starts back, two to one when she broke uh, through at the N1X rank. So she's a horse that can win a race like this. There's no question about it, but she's far from the hardiest. Let's put it that way. She'll, she'll lose some races that perhaps she shouldn't, or based on the wagering public anyway, she shouldn't. Um, now, when we look at her from a running style standpoint, you see her sitting just off of a horse like Bronx Beauty. Now, of the two, I'm going to be a little bit more interested in a horse like Bronx Beauty because I think, A, she's when she's right, she's more talented. But I, ha I have to believe that part of this 0 for 3 never hitting the board at Gulfstream is just because she's been taking on superior animals. Now she's going to get a little bit of class relief in a spot like this, and she should be able to get the jump on a horse like the two. Uh, of the inside runners, a horse like Bronx Beauty I would be more intrigued with than a horse like Day by Day. Doesn't mean Day by Day can't win a race like this, don't get me wrong, but just not my, of those two, if I had to take one or the other head-to-head, -head, I would take the inside horse. Now here's Aerosol. Aerosol, you'll note some of these other little notations that I've made. Um, the CDS1, if you read, um, uh, oh, slipping my mind now, uh, PTF's book with uh, Mike Maloney, professional player down in Lexington, uh, Betting with an Edge. Uh, you'll note that this CA, he made note of uh, the way that he would identify track biases, inside, outside, speed, closer, whatever it was, and he had sort of a three-tiered system for all of them. One, being a little bit kind of speed. Two, there being a legitimate bias. Three, it, it, impossible to do something if that's not what you were doing. I have, in my opinion, identified April 11th at Gulfstream on the main track to be a slightly sort of, let's say, kind to speed kind of racetrack. So a horse like Aerosol, 
frankly, she probably didn't have much of a chance if, if, if that is indeed the case. If, if you needed to be a little bit closer to the pace uh, or it was helpful to be out there and she's clearly a horse that doesn't have a ton of early speed, she was probably up against it. So I want to give her a little bit of credit for that. Now, the run two starts back in the Hurricane Birdie. Again, she's facing a, a pretty good field. You see you've got the sixth and ninth place finishers, both next out winners with 90 and 92 buyers. The fourth place finisher came back and earned a 90 buyer in that race. So clearly coming out of a good effort. The run off the layoff, it looks weak just based on what the horses did coming out of the race. But I know what Blamed is. Blamed is a nice horse. She can run a, a low 90 type of buyer on her best day. Uh, Miss Meshack came back and ran on grass. Um, so, uh, you know, the the real knocks for me with a horse like Aerosol is, A, I don't think the pace is going to be beneficial for her. B, I don't know that her running style at this point anyway, what we've seen recently, I know she was reasonably close to Swift Fractions and the Hurricane Birdie, but when she's been close to the pace, there hasn't been a ton of it. Now, that could very easily be the case here on Friday, or excuse me, on Thursday. I just, the way that she's been going recently, she's not the one I'm most interested in coming from a little bit off of it. Let's put it that way. Doesn't mean that she can't run well. Doesn't mean she can't win. And I will say that about all the horses in here. Like I said, this isn't necessarily giving out picks, but it's one of those things where, you know, if I'm looking for a horse that's coming from a little bit off of it, it's going to be a different horse other than aerosol. You'll also note this, what I have right here, a rainstorm late in the card between races 12 and 13. Um, I think that's important because sometimes you're going to get notations as we got here. Gulfstream's 12th is listed as a fast main track. And, and again, I'd have to go back and look at the replay to see just what the condition was, but the rain did show up at some point, And perhaps that changes some things. Perhaps it doesn't, whatever the case may be. Um, just, I think the more information you have or the more sort of uh, clues that you can go back and either check or not check or whatever, I, I think just helps you overall as far as trying to piece together this puzzle. Violent times, a horse that makes plenty of sense. Again, also coming out of that race, the 12th uh, from April the 11th at Gulfstream. Showed speed, couldn't quite get the job done. Showed speed, that's why I have this thing kind of circled up here, at a similar level on a track that was what I thought a little bit speed friendly. So part of me wants to look at Violent Times and say, well, you you had a pretty, pretty good opportunity to get the job done. You couldn't do it. A little bit disappointing. Having said that, this is a horse that is, she can run on anything. She's two for five lifetime at Gulfstream. She's three for 13 lifetime. Uh, if you get a fast main track, she's going to run to the best of her abilities. I think she makes plenty of sense in here. I don't know that I'd love her at two to one, but I can understand anyone that looks at it and says she's just the best horse in this race, and we're going to go on with it, especially given the pace dynamic where if it doesn't look like there's a ton, you got Haramio, who's a good gate rider, go right to the front and say, come and catch me. Here's the horse that I, look, I've always thought that she's good. I, I just think Pacific Gale, maybe she's not the hardiest. Maybe she doesn't want to beat you. But I think based on what she did last year and the races that she ran in, I think she's a little, I don't think her three for 19 record is as bad as maybe it seems at face value off of a lengthy layoff in this most recent race where she ran into violent times, ran into a couple other horses. Rainstorm late in the card. I'll have to go back again and check out and see what the racetrack looked like because clearly a wet track is not necessarily her friend. So if there was a ton of moisture on the track, perhaps that's a reason I can make an excuse to go along with the long layoff. Luis Saez sticks around. I think that's always a positive. John Kimmel, great trainer, know what he's capable of. And you go through and take a look at some of the horses and the names that she ran against last year. And, I mean, it's it's a who's who of the female sprinters on the East Coast. You see a horse like Shalon. You see Separation of Powers. Heaven has my Nikki. 
Come Dancing, Dawn the Destroyer. I mean, these are Dream Pauline, Stormy Embrace. These are really top flight fillies and mares. So Pacific Gale, I'll say off the layoff, she needed a race. Perhaps she caught a track that wasn't friendly to her as far as the, the actual condition of the surface. Uh, if it was a speed-friendly track, then obviously she's going to be up against it a little bit. She's a horse that does her best running coming from a little bit off of it. She's more of a stalker. And I feel like the last time she was at a reasonable level like this was this race back here, early October at Belmont Park, where she got the job done at odds of 8-1 to one against N2X Company. I think she's a very talented horse. Perhaps the running style will compromise her if there's no pace signed on. But based on the way that I think the track profile has changed a little bit at the six for a long distance, I, I think she's in with a puncher's chance, especially on a fast main track. I don't know if you're an eight to one type like the morning line suggests. Maybe she's half that, but I think she's at least one to keep an eye on. And then you have Gray Owl. Gray Owl for Larry Ravelli is a horse that you see a, a number of ones, meaning, you know, forwardly placed throughout. The thing is with these races... You see the blue for, the blue uh, pace figures from Timeform US? They're, it's indicating that she's close to these very, very slow paces. And I, I just don't know what we're going to get on the main track like this against better horses. Uh, yeah, look, okay, she ran into Point of Honor last time out. Point of Honor is the only horse that really came back to do anything major out of that $40,000 handicap race. But that, the, the, the big thing there was point of honor. It was just a starting off point. She's a two-turn horse. She came back and ran really well down at Oaklawn Park. The other girls coming out of that race, they've earned mid to high 60 buyers. That's not fast enough to win in a race like this. So Gray Owl's going to be up against it a little bit. I'll be very curious to see where she's positioned on the racetrack. Larry Ravelli knows what he's doing. He can place him really well. You take a look. She's done good things in the past at Gulfstream. She's won at the distance before. She's got a little bit of speed. I can understand folks that are intrigued with her. Part of the reason I bring up that speed factor, the, the lack thereof, is her best runs come when she's outright on the lead. Okay, she's a length and a half off of it here against inferior company. You're going to need to do better than that in a situation like this on Thursday afternoon if you're sitting off of either the, the inside horse, the one, or the four, who violent times looks like she's going to be the main speed in a race like this. So these just little notations that I make, this is a way for me to go through and get an idea, okay, who, who am I interested in? Who am I not so interested in? What races do I need to go back and watch the tape on? I absolutely would have to go back and watch this race, this this race, uh, race 12 from April, uh, April the 11th. If I get that out of there, I've got marble mouth. Because if, if the racetrack is indeed wetter than what the official listing is of fast, then all of a sudden I can start building cases or knocking horses out or taking them down a notch saying this is a track that you should have excelled on versus other horses who may not have liked that you definitely have to take a look at it from a pace standpoint and it's one of those things too you're not going to know really what this field looks like until we get to day of scratches could change this thing dramatically you know if the four horse is out of this race for some reason could dramatically change the pace situation so so many different things but i guess i just wanted to show what the first sort of pass through of my handicapping would involve. Then I'll go in and start doing some deeper dives, most notably with the, the trips. I'll go back and watch tape, see what I think of the horses and how they move, what they look like out there. I'll start going into Formulator or something like Stats Lens and, you know, looking at trainer patterns, you know, off of a lengthy layoff, second off the bench, whatever the case may be, start doing a little bit of a deeper dive there. And then ultimately, if I feel comfortable with a horse in a race like that, 
I'll try to price it out and say, what's a reasonable expectation or what's a what's a price that I'm willing to take on a horse like this compared to some other runners in a spot similar? So that's just a, a bare bones first pass through from me. Let me know what you think beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Uh, how do you typically go through your first pass through with PPs? Is there a certain product you use? Is there a methodology where, you know what, I'm going to only, I'm going to go from front to back, whoever I think is going to make the front to whoever I think is coming from last. Do you start with the inside runner and work out? Do you start with the horse with the fastest last out figures and work your way backwards? Or what is the, the methodology for you as far as handicapping is concerned? Uh, that's going to button this up and I'm going to leave it on this software. No sense in me just shifting back over to the other camera. Um, if you've enjoyed this, please let me know. If you haven't enjoyed it, please let me know. Whatever you do over on the YouTube channel, please subscribe to the In The Money channel. Please subscribe to Matt Bernier's channel. Uh, make sure the bell icon's lit up so you get a notification whenever anything new comes up. It, it Look, it helps everyone. Thumbs up or thumbs down, any kind of interaction there, and especially in that comment section. I love the way things have started, and I'd love it to continue on that way if you all are are um, open to it. Because at the end of the day, you guys are the ones that kind of push the, the needle with that sort of stuff. So uh, you can find this podcast over on YouTube. Just search Matt Bernier Show in the search bar. Uh, but if you're someone that wants to listen to it on their phone or on some other sort of platform, you have InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You also have Apple Podcasts. You have Android Situation. You can find it a million different ways. All it is, the Matt Bernier Show. Give it a search. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Questions, comments, concerns, whatever the case may be. Let me know. Hopefully, it sounds like we'll have some more racing this week. Churchill's getting going. Hopefully, we get some racing from Santa Anita. Golden Gate is reopening as well. So, a number of good things happening. Obviously, we've got the... Uh, the standbys and Gulfstream and Tampa and things of that nature. And uh, however you're listening, however you've been watching or playing, whatever the case may be, best of luck, however you play, wherever you play, and whenever you play. Um, I'll be back on Monday with another episode of this thing, and, and hopefully we can continue the ball rolling along. Hopefully I'll also be able to tell you the latest as far as the news, where you'll be able to find some of these picks. And please let me know, how are we going to work this, this $100 challenge? Because that's, that's been weighing on me for a while. Let me know what your thoughts are. Good luck the rest of this week. Talk again next Monday. This has been episode 14 of the Matt Burnham Show.